Hi, I'm Ellen Woodbury. I'm an animator and stone sculptor, and you're listening to the Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts, El John Go and Dave Bossert. Welcome to Skull Rock Podcast. If this is your first time checking out the show, welcome. Every single week, we talk all things Disney and pop culture with never-before-heard stories, behind-the-scenes moments from some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, and much more. I'm one of your co-hosts, Al John Goh, longtime musician, Marvel, Star Wars, and of course, Disney fan and pop culturist. And you can email me, Aljon, A-L-J-O-N, at SkullRockPodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossard, artist, filmmaker, author, and welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast, where it's not just about Disney, but it's also about pop culture. <laughs> and if you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And you can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Yeah. Hi, Al John. How are you? Dave, I'm good. <laughs> I am so excited that the holidays are just around the corner. I, uh, I can't even believe that this Thursday is Thanksgiving. It's crazy. It's Where hard did this to believe. year go? I know. I, 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 I'm stoked. Um, I am getting ready to, I'm late for my flu shot, but I, I think I've decided I'm going to get my flu and my booster shot at the same time. I had a few friends do that. I think you yeah. did it last week. Um, no, I, I didn't do it at the same time. I, I oh. actually got my flu shot right before I went back to the East Coast. And uh. then like two weeks later, my wife, got, when we got back, she Nancy got her flu shot. And then a week after that, which would have been last week, gotcha. uh, we both went and got boosted. Ah, uh, okay. There you go. Cool, cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and by the way, I, f I felt fine, except I did post on Facebook the fact that I'm much more magnetic now. Yeah. You know, <laughs> okay. I, I, so, some metal objects stuck to me. You posted that and you had the, the, the <laughs> airbrush or the, the Photoshop spoon and the toaster in front I, of you. I, I, I had, I, well, I don't know. It was a photoshopped. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, you did that. And what yeah. did I do? I found, of course, the X Men Magneto meme, which also had the spoon and the toaster. Right. There, there you go. So, so I had, right. to, I had to do that. So, well, gang, we have another awesome show for you, Dave. Who's going to be uh, in our green room getting well, ready to Well, you know something? This was our second part interview with Richard Kraft. Yeah. And this is all about collecting, Disney yeah. collecting, Craftland. I mean, wait till you hear the stories. I mean, the, the things that Richard collected are unbelievable. Believable. So you you're gonna want to stick around. And Richard's such a great individual. He's such a he's a good friend and just a lovely person. And he's got an effusive personality, and he's gonna be telling us some great stories. Look at you, Dave, using all those college words. I mean, my goodness, I know. you know, it's like you're, it's like you're a writer or something. <laughs> hey, uh, you know, I love that that episode it was super cool, and I, I can't wait to check out this interview. I mean, I had to. I wasn't able to join you on the live show uh, recording with him, but man, he's just awesome. I love that interview. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we have some news. I know we've got some news. 
Skull Rock Podcast, ripped from the headlines. It's Skull Rock Podcast headline news. Before we get into all this, Dave, I have to say I'm so looking forward to Ghostbusters. So am I. I. I am absolutely looking forward to it. And by the time this episode of Skull Rock Podcast drops on the internet, I will have seen it. I can't wait. I'm so looking forward to it. Between that and like the Eternals, I've got to catch up on some stuff. I'm off I next week. The, I, I got to tell you, you Alton, loved it? I love the Eternals. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. I, I, I just thought it was, it was just beautifully shot, you yeah. know? I mean, and it's a great ensemble cast. 100%. I can't wait. And the other thing I can't wait for is Spider-Man No Way No uh, No Way Home because they dropped that trailer this week and it, the world and the internet exploded. Yep, it was so yep. amazing. I mean, it looked like William Defoe was back, and and you have all kinds of great actors from over time. You know that yeah. the Spider Man and different incarnations happen, so it's great. Um, and then to boot, I get this news earlier this week too about there's an Asian Muppet that's coming on board uh, Sesame Street too. That's a right, Korean yeah. American yeah. was like super cool, and Jim Lee from. Um, from uh, DC Comics, who I follow, and and we've exchanged some stuff back and forth. He's and he worked for Marvel too. Jim Lee's an amazing yeah. artist. Is going to be on Sesame Street too, talking about Asian uh, culture and stuff like that. And and the great thing about this is not only is she Asian, being a Korean American character, but she also plays guitar. Dave, wow, there's a, it's like sounds like product placement for Gibson. A, I, it does sound product placementy, <laughs> doesn't it? It does. Well, anyway, um, we have a lot of uh, news stories, but let's distill it down to just a handful of things. Um, you sent me this, and I just, I literally did the Picard facepalm meme when you did this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Disney shows its cards in pursuit of sports betting dollars. Now that yeah. major leagues are getting around on board with gambling, the family-friendly Hollywood giant is eyeing that the revenue, and it may start with uh, the splashy ESPN licensing deal. Uh, Dave, this is reported from The Hollywood Reporter, and when you sent me this, I literally just put my head and hung my head because that you is... Know, it's, yeah. I, I, honestly, I view this as a brand withdrawal. That, that's really simply put, it's a brand withdrawal. That means that it's tarnishing the Disney brand. No matter how you slice it, they can sit there and say, it's just going to be an ESPN licensing deal for sports betting. But you know what? This is the 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 door cracking open and it's going to push wide open. The, you know, the years ago, they were looking at possibly doing a themed uh, uh, resort in Las Vegas mm -hmm. and, you know, that got scrapped and, you know, under Fox, years, right? Under Fox, right? No, no, this was going to be, this was way before they even purchased Fox. Oh, wow. You know, this is, this is going back decades. They were toying around with this idea mm -hmm. and, and, and it's never gotten past the discussion phase internally because it's not compatible with the Disney brand. It mm. just isn't. I don't think, you know, gambling is gambling, Yeah. you know, and it doesn't sit with the values of, of this company and, and the family values that Walt Disney founded this company on, in my opinion. When, right? when, when, when the change was made to start including alcoholic beverages in the theme parks, how did you take that? Well, you know, from my perspective, 
at, you know, having alcohol. I think they only serve alcohol at Club 33 at Disneyland. Is That's that right. That's right. But they're, right? they're starting. And, to change, but but over that. at California Adventure, they had, uh, you know, the winery mm-hmm. restaurant and they were yep. serving wine and the brewery. They had, uh, uh, yeah, the brewery and stuff like that. But within Disneyland, it's only been Club 33. And I think that it's nice that they respect that, mm-hmm. you know, um, because I do think it's appropriate to have alcohol up in Club 33. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a private club. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's going to go in there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, all I can say about alcohol is that once you introduce alcohol into a venue, you're opening the door for potential problems. That's right. You just are. You know, and that isn't what people who are going to these theme parks want, Mm -hmm. you know, in my opinion, if you, if you're going down there with your family and you've got little kids and Al John, you've got uh, two little kids, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you don't want to be in an, in an, uh, an environment in which, uh, you know, there, somebody's going to have too much to drink. Uh, become belligerent, cause problems, fall over, knock chairs, or, you know, oh, knock yeah, over happens. a table, yeah. all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and you see what happens at, at concerts and sporting events. Oh, I can see what happens at Epcot during the food and wine festival at times when right. those uh, newlywed or the bridal power, uh, all those, uh, all those uh, newlywed, uh, you know, parties come in looking to party and, 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 yeah. and those, it happens, but, you know, so you have that. This is just a. This is just different, and I I feel like it is an an added element, as you say. And even though Disney has made other film studios uh, to do like more adult themed entertainment, you know, whether it's um, oh gosh, New Horizon, uh, New Line, not New uh, New Line. I'm trying to remember what Dimension Films, right? Uh-huh. That did Scream yeah. and things. They were still a little bit different, but I think the CSPN thing, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not really seeing eye to eye with this. Well, all I can say is that it, it's not, it's not like ESPN. It's Disney getting into sports betting. That, mm-hmm. That's what it boils down to. Unless they spin off, you know, ESPN into its own company and they want to do it that way, go for it. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that this opens the door to, uh, you know, it's going to be sports betting. They're going to see how much money they can rake in from that. And then the next step is going to be, oh, let's do a casino. Let's add a casino to a new cruise ship. Let's, you know, do a casino resort. Let's, you know, and, and expand that way. And, and frankly, you know, I just don't, I don't think that that is a facet of the entertainment world that, that the Disney company should be part of that, that. Again, that's just my opinion based on what the company was founded on. Yeah. I, I, I will agree with you, Dave. When, when I told my wife that she was floored, but yeah, you know, I think it's going to come to a big shock and what does it boil down to? Probably dollars. And speaking of dollars, this other story you sent here, uh, Benzinga.com reports Disney CEO Bob Chapek not appearing at Destination D23 amid petition for removal. And um, I remember seeing this happen a few weeks ago. I saw the petition. It came across my desk and I was like, oh, this is uh, interesting. It'll never gain any traction. And of course it did. It gained yeah, traction. Over 75,000 over 75, signatures so far. It did. So on February 25th, Bob Chapek was announced um, – that he was, uh, well, well, he is the CEO of, uh, of of Disney, and he was scheduled on the schedule for the D23 uh, 50th anniversary event that's going to be happening here in a few days. 
And then he was unceremoniously re uh, removed from the program, which led everyone to believe that um, he was removed because uh, there is potential of him getting booed. There were some recent reports that Bob Chapek has appeared in the Disney parks over the last few days, and he has been booed where he had to take refuge backstage. Wow. And wow, I hadn't read that. Yeah, that. You know, look, uh, I, I, I just want to say I know Bob Chapek. Mm -hmm. I had, you know, when he headed up Disney Home Entertainment uh, in the early 2000s, you know, I, I, I've, you know, I did work over in that division on a number of projects and I know him, you know, and all I'm going to say is he's an incredibly nice guy. Mm -hmm. He really is. And he's been with the company a long time and he understands the brand. Okay. So he's putting his mark on the company and, you know, you don't have to agree with everything he's doing, but, you know, he's doing his best in a very difficult environment right now. I mean, he really has, you know, jumped into the frying pan, uh, taking over the company a month before the pandemic and the lockdown and the closing of all the parks and the cruise ships and everything going on, mm -hmm. you know? So all I can say is, he is a nice guy and I, I want to cut him a little bit of slack. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that, that's just my opinion. So I, I have something to add to that. So um, it was said by a PR agent that Bob has a conflict in LA that Friday night won't make it back to Orlando on time says spokesperson Jackie Whaler and told that to inside the magic because of the scheduling conflict and quote, Chapek said, unfortunately, this year, given the new job and the tugs that I have from several different areas, it's impossible be, for me to make it, but I will be there in spirit. Um, you know, some of this stuff, you know, conspiracy theorists would have you believe that uh, that this is kind of made up. But I can tell you that some Disney PR people apparently had written notes, uh, a, a very pointed notes to some Disney bloggers out there. And I yeah, don't call them journalists. Because yeah. if they were journalists, they would have reached out to Disney for an exact quote. But instead, they decided to air their dirty laundry and, <laughs> ma and make speculation, which is yeah. which is uh, which libelous. Is which it's is wrong. wrong. It's wrong. It's yeah. it's a uh, it's libelous when you put it in print. And it's a uh, uh, you need to be a journalist. Like I I've been a journalist. You need to go out there and just reach Disney for comment. And if they mm. don't comment, then you don't speculate. That's just one of those things. You can share your opinion if it's labeled as such, but don't don't report opinion as fact. Listen, you know, the Walt Disney company is a global enterprise. Okay. They're in virtually almost every country on, on the face of this planet. And there's over 200,000 employees and multiple, multiple divisions of this company. And the kind of stuff that's going on day to day is absolutely off the charts. Yeah. You know, and uh, I take this on face value. You know, if, if he has a conflict uh, on the Friday night and is not going to make it there in time, that's just the way it's going to be. Yeah. You know, and, and and you can't you can't make stuff up. You can't claim it's one thing or another. And that's why he's not coming. You got to take it on face value. He's got a conflict. Yeah. I believe it. Yeah. But if, if, if there is a PR agent that writes you a nasty note, 
that could get put on the internet with your name on it, signed to it as part of PR. Mm-hmm. That's probably not the best PR person. Just putting no, that out there. Not at all. You know, we've had a lot of we've had a lot of debacles in the D- Disney PR <laughs> department as of late. And uh, I've seen some of these emails circulating across the uh, yeah. the blogosphere, and they're not very nice. No, and and you know something, it, it, the, there's there's been, I mean, some public black eyes at the company uh, for how they're handling some of this stuff. So they really need to sort of take a step back uh, <laughs> and, and reexamine corporate communications. One hundred percent. You know, well, speaking <laughs> of taking a step back and and. And recovering from black eyes, Scarlett Johansson touts positive impact of Black Widow lawsuit. Kevin Feige teases a top secret Marvel project with her as producer. She says, quote, I feel mostly very fortunate that nobody will have to go through what I went through. The star said before an American cinematic tribute in her honor. What a tribute, by the way, I have to say. And um, Scarlett Johansson looks to be producing something for Marvel. Is this the make good, Dave? I, I think it's fantastic, and, and and this is certainly probably an outgrowth of whatever the settlement was behind closed doors, which should have been entirely behind closed doors to begin with. Uh, and, uh, you know, she did uh, a lot of good for, I think, a lot of people out there because, you know, because of her lawsuit, uh, the company pivoted and, and uh, you know, the rest of their slate for the year is going out theatrically. Uh, so, uh, you know, Hey, look, everybody makes mistakes. Uh, they may made a big boo boo here and they've apparently made good on it. So, uh, they, they've tried to make it right with her, but at the same time, they, you know, they again, hurt the brand, uh, with a black eye. Well, there you have it. You know, she was in on the red carpet, um, you know, in that event for the American Cinematique. Um, tribute in her honor and um, Colin Jost, her husband was there from Saturday night live. Of course, Jeremy Renner, who's in that Hawkeye series, of course, fellow Avenger, Jamie Lee Curtis, Marvel chief, Kevin Feige was there, Chris Evans, Robert Downey, uh, Samuel Jackson. Uh, They were all there to, I guess, witness her, uh, her tribute for nearly 30 years in the business. Dave, I remember when she first started, um, what a great wow. actress and what a great yeah. uh, accomplishment for all those years. And apparently she's still on track to be doing that tower of Te- terror project for Disney. So um, I'm, I, I'm I look forward to, to seeing her in these films. I Absolutely. mean, she, she is a terrific, uh, she got a terrific screen presence and she's a great actress. And uh, I've certainly enjoyed a lot of films that she's been in. 100%. Well, in Saturn news, Mick rock, Legendary producer, legendary music photographer, rather, dies at 72, dubbed the man who shot the 70s, was responsible for some of the most iconic images of artists like David Bowie, Iggy Pop, and the Velvet Underground. Uh, What a loss. I can tell you that uh, I'm a big fan of rock and roll photography. Um, I've bought several books about it. You know, like, like, uh, it's just amazing images especially the ones of david bowie huge fan of that um you know queen yeah he was he was apparently good friends with with, with bowie uh and but he i mean he shot so many amazing album covers it's really mm-hmm. something else you yeah, know absolutely uh, i i mean you know when you when you think about it it's uh, you know 1975 coney island baby for uh, iggy pop and yep. the stooges uh he provided the cover photography for the 1970 
1973 Raw Power for Queen mm-hmm. and covers for albums Queen 2 in 74 and Sheer Heart Attack in 74. And for uh, the Ramones, he shot the cover for End of the Century. One of and my for favorites. Joan Jett, he shot the cover for I Love Rock and Roll in 91, excuse me, in 1981. Yeah. And he also um, uh, shot the stills for the cult film uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, which is pretty amazing. But, you know, he he worked with R.E.M., Motley Crue, Madonna, Lenny Kravitz, Kings of Leon, Draft Punk, Alicia Keys, Miley Cyrus. I mean, it, it just, the list goes on and on. Amazing photographer. Yeah. I mean, when you when you look at the pantheon of, you know, rock and roll photography, you know, he's definitely up there much like an Ann Leibovitz, you know, um, just amazing, amazing work there. And he will be missed. And if you want to revisit any one of those albums, take a look, you'll see his artwork there. You'll see his photos just absolutely amazing. He will be missed. What a great art artist, but uh, his art and album covers will live on forever. Yeah. And, you know, he's, he's done uh, a, a bunch of books too. Uh, and uh, his work is featured in quite a number of books uh, that he's put out over the years. So uh, I think, you know, that's something worth tracking down if, if people have a, a curiosity or, or like, like uh, those types of photos, which to me, you know, Al John, I have to say about this, you know, it's always amazing when somebody is in that moment uh, and they're taking all those pictures because they're documenting things that aren't going to be captured otherwise. And that's why I I really admire a lot of these uh, uh, photographers that have been on the road with bands and shooting behind the scenes, backstage, all of that kind of stuff. It really documents a a period of history. Absolutely. And well, speaking of that, and Mick Mick Rock, you you will forever be missed. But um, if you're interested in more, um, my compadres, my my other day job working for Gibson Guitar Company, we actually have an award-winning series on Gibson TV, our YouTube channel, that features the uh, uh, the work of Ross Halfen. It is a, a brand-new series that we have called Through the Lens, and uh, you can check out our award-winning series of uh, documentaries, many documentaries in film and in music. Uh, Through the Lens, you can check it out. Ross Halfen, one of the world's best rock and roll photographers as well. So awesome. Something to suggest. Dave, it's time for a guest. Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time. Okay, Al John, once again, we've got a fantastic guest back with us from last week, Richard Kraft, the co-owner of Kraft Engel Management, one of the world's leading agencies specializing in representing film, theater, television, video game composers, songwriters, and music supervisors. But guess what? We're not going to talk about all that stuff this week. We're going to talk about- That was so last week. It was so last week. It was that. Richard, welcome back. We're going to be talking with Richard Kraft, the Uber- Uber Disney collector. And I have to tell you, I have to tell our audience uh, that you had- the collection of collections that uh, I don't think anybody's ever had a collection like this before. And you sold it a number of years ago. And when you sold it, you sold it through Van Eaton galleries in Sherman Oaks, California. And what Van Eaton did was they leased a vacant two story retail establishment at the Sherman Oaks Galleria. 
and put your entire collection on display. And folks, I, I'm telling you seriously, because I was there. Uh, it was a two story department store with escalators. And I don't even think they were able to put all of Richard's collection in there. They put all the highlights of your collection in there. Am I right, Richard? It was about a thousand artifacts from Disneyland. Wow. A out of how many? A thousand and three. <laughs> this, the only thing I did not get rid of yeah. was some uh, apparel because I can actually wear it. Okay. But, and, and a bunch of Mary Blair art because I can hang that on a wall. But the days of owning a Dumbo, a 800-pound plastic fiberglass elephant and owning stretch room paintings and a Mr. Toad car and a singing Jose, I collected it for years and then one day put it all in storage and then gave it a great going away party with an exhibit called That's From Disneyland and then auctioned it off and I am now a former Disneyland collector. Uh, so, I, you know something, though? I, I think that you, I, I don't know if I would say you're a former Disneyland collector. I think you're still a collector, but you now have the memories of your collection in a beautiful catalog. Exactly. I actually enjoyed looking at the catalog so much more than visiting a storage facility with no air conditioning yeah, out of San Fernando Valley. It was right. like, you, you have a, you have this book on your desk. You can pick up anytime you want to take a five minute break. Right. And certain things look better in book form. Yeah. It's like you get a glamor shot of Disneyland bubble bath. It doesn't look that good in real life, but in a photo, <laughs> man, is it good. Now what, I lied to you already at the beginning of this. I do have one Disneyland collection that's ongoing. There's a great book called The Nickel Tour about uh -huh. Disneyland postcards. And I, during COVID, decided I'm going to complete my collection and get every Disneyland postcard in the book. Wow. And I think there may be 1,600 cards listed. Uh -huh. I'm down to about 82 that I'm looking for. Wow. That is and, unbelievable. See, you're, you're still a collector at heart. Yeah. Yeah, you really Anytime are. I can fill out an Excel spreadsheet. I'm happy <laughs> now. Now, let's just step back, because last week we were talking uh, uh, about how you got into music and you were collecting uh, show tunes and, and cast albums and soundtrack albums and things yep. like that. How did you get into actually collecting uh, Disneyland paraphernalia? It was a, a, like most people that love Disneyland, you open a drawer in your house and you probably have the flyer they handed you when you went through the gate, or you may have back in the days of ticket bo books, an old ticket book with nothing but unused A tickets. And <laughs> yep. And so, and, and I also had the map of Disneyland that they used to sell the illustrated map. And we would go to Disneyland, my brother and I and my family, once a year. And for the rest of the year, we would look at that map and treat it like a military strategy. And you only had a certain number of tickets. So you had to allocate how many e-tickets, what are you going to use them on? And the notion of buying additional tickets was not even, in. that was like crazy talk. 
So <laughs> we would plot and plan our trip to Disneyland obsessively down to which tunnel are we going to start it on the left one or the right one. Wow. And so, and the trip to Disneyland, I think is magical for everyone, but in my family, my brother was terminally ill for 20 years with okay. Crohn's, the worst case of Crohn's disease anyone's ever had. So there was always a sense this may be the last trip to Disneyland. And we only went when my brother was feeling well. So it was a magical day that he was healthy. and with my parents. We're at Disneyland. How much better could life be? So when my brother passed away, I felt truly lost. We were really, really close. And when most of the things we're talking about, collecting soundtrack albums, stuff, it was always the two amigos doing it, my brother and myself. Yeah. And so when he died, I... How old was he? He was 35. Mm -hmm. And he was an Emmy-winning TV director of the Channel 5 News here in Los Angeles. And he passed away. And I instinctively just drove to Anaheim and walked around and the smell of Pirates of the Caribbean, the lacquered handrails and the jungle cruise, the sound of the shooting galleries, that everything brought back the sensory overload of this is the exact same sidewalk I walked on with my brother as kids. Mm -hmm. And so it was like a, a scrapbook in three dimensions about my, the happiest days of my life. And then I heard about a gallery, Howard Lowry was doing auctions of Disney attraction posters. And I always obsessed about those posters as you enter the park. Yeah, they're beautifully designed and they treated each ride like it was a tourist destination. Mm -hmm. And I particularly love the one of Autopia, which is this idealized mid-century dad with his arm around his son driving on the Autopia. And it just felt so positive. And so I went to the auction and got that. And then because I'm an obsessive guy and there's a finite number of attraction posters. I like things with finite numbers because I love Excel spreadsheets. My mission was to get every attraction poster. And did which? You? Nope. Casa de Frito screwed me up. What, what, now, tell, 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 tell us about that one. That damn poster, there's only one known to be among the private collector. Wow. Yep. And he wasn't selling and at so, no price at no price it, it, it didn't even come up because oh. i got such an adamant no and then it's like i don't want to take the poster away from a guy who loves it that much yeah yeah and then i just sour graped it and go well I, who wants that poster it's ugly anyway <laughs> <laughs> and then um i started buying they had stretch room paintings for auction so i got those and I just took, I was very fortunate that the kind of work I do was lucrative. Yeah. So I had some money. Yeah. And there's always something to spend your money on. Yeah. And for me, it was Disneyland artifacts. I was not that into things made to collect. Like I'm not a pin collector. Sure. Right. Because pin collectors are crazy. I make perfect sense. Yeah. But yeah. the, <laughs> uh, 
but things that were never designed to be collectible right. is what I want to collect. They were like, like one-off vehicles. Yeah, ride vehicles. The one that I wanted so badly was a Alice in Wonderland Caterpillar mobile. Really? Oh my God, that thing's so gorgeous. Claude Coates so designed that. Who did? Claude Coates. There's of a, course. It's, it's in the book. I'm sending you, okay? Thank you. <laughs> because I love the smug look on his face. It's like, mm. hey, you may be sitting on me, but I still am in control. <laughs> and and that and Dumbo, I remember my Dumbo was in my house and it's very difficult to convince any structural engineer to, to suspend 800 pounds of plastic. Yeah, yeah. I found the guy who was willing to tear down one of my walls, put a steel beam down to the foundation of the house and hook up a steel arm to suspend to him. To hold it, to hold it, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and, and could was, you could you sit in could you sit in that or no. did you have it suspended high up? It was way high up. Okay. To the point people would be in my living room and not notice the elephants in the room. Really? Yeah. Really? And and I was told but never tested it that during an earthquake being under the elephant was the safest place. Uh I don't know. But about I'm not that. Buy it. <laughs> but but it, so I just kept, and then you get to be known as the guy who collects. Yeah. I would get phone calls in the middle of the night going, I've got sex. It's a small world figures. I'll meet you in a parking lot. And it would like be like a drug dealer, a hostage situation. Really? They'd open up the U-Haul and there they were. Wow. And, the and, you, and you'd buy them. Of course I did. Yeah. The only time I bought something and then was like, uh-oh, this is not kosher. Yeah. The plaque when you go into Tomorrowland. Yeah. Some guy sold me. And then I, I'm friends with a Tony Baxter came to my office. Yeah. And he saw me. Someone stole this from my office last week. Really? So I called the guy up and said, I'm not going to get into it. Pick it up, refund the money and return it. And he did. Yeah, and he did. Yeah, the, the thing about collecting, though, is that you, you do become very obsessive compulsive, right? Oh my God, very is not even a powerful enough word. It is. I was being diplomatic. Okay. Yes, <laughs> it's consuming. And, and like my wife can't get why I care about getting these remaining 80 something Disneyland postcards. Yeah. And all of them are the equivalent of Casa de Frito. It's like yet another picture of the Mark Twain going around Cascade Peak. Yeah. But it's got a slightly different serial number on the back of the card yeah and my wife's like what's the enjoyment and it's like it's very hard to explain well the enjoyment is getting the complete set exactly and it's yeah. like there's something in city slickers where they talk about why guys collect baseball cards yeah it's it's mindless checklist and there's no emotion but and there's a, a but, but but there is emotion there's enjoyment Oh, and, that is an emotion. Right? There, there's enjoyment out of it, and, and it's a diversion. It's a diversion from it's your It's a diversion day. because yeah. my day is filled with putting out fires of a lot of people. Yeah. And having to be sharp and dealing. It's like being a therapist. Mm -hmm. My job is largely somewhere between a therapist and a fuller brush salesman, is what yeah. I do. Yeah. And to 
zone out in my quest for the thing that's going to be the bane of my existence. There are these postcards listed in Nickel Tour that don't, have nothing to do with Disneyland. They were made in France and it's like goofy on top of the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. And there's like 12 of these. But because the book said they were sold at Disneyland, they listed them. Uh. So now I'm on a quest for ugly postcards from France. <laughs> that, And I have found three of them. Well, that's but, awesome. But they're going to, my last words are going to be, did we get goofy in the show? However you say <laughs> On the Champs Elysees, yeah, on the Champs Elysees, and that somehow that has something to do with Disneyland. Wow, that that's Uh, unbelievable. But it it it, it, there is an escapism and a detail like you as an author. Yeah, you want that perfect photo or that perfect drawing to fill in that space in the book that you could not. You could get away with not having it. But you'd be miserable. Yeah, and and it, it's a balance. You're you're balancing out, you know, the text with uh, images. Yes. You know? And and you're putting on a show. Yeah. And and it is that balance of ingredients, and so getting the catalog of my own ex- collection was really. It's very happy on my coffee table. Yeah. Now, not the coffee table that i still kept or did i sell it in the auction a mark's play set remember those of disneyland oh yes i built a coffee table around it so it's part of the coffee table <laughs> so i'm creating art out of disney collectible stuff but um, so- one of the things, though, I I, I want to step back for because you you mentioned that the Lowry auction, and I'm sure there were other auctions that you went to that were put on by other folks. But um, how contentious does that get uh, when you're bidding on something, or do 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 you, some of the pieces you were buying were at a price point that you you kind of lost the competition pretty quickly? Um, the it varied. When I started collecting, I had less money than subsequent years yeah so i used to let go of a lot of stuff all of which i'm kicking myself for letting go of right we but always do knew they had a bunch of mary blairs that were not very expensive that it's like can i get a delorean and go back in time and go to a howard larry auction and get all the mary blairs <laughs> but and then there were people once i got known that i was going to keep bidding on stuff that i really wanted there were people who would bid against me with no intention of buying this stuff just to force me to spend more. Really? Um, and, w- and would you stop bidding uh, and let them take, uh, like be stuck with a, with a high price? Never. No. Okay. Now, like my favorite collecting story was when I got my Dumbo, okay. it was at a Disney and a convention in Florida. Mm-hmm. And I set $5,000 as my limit and I didn't even have $5,000. So I set a limit of something I didn't even have. And in the heat of the auction, I'm bidding against some phone bidder and the price keeps going higher and higher. And I'm just, the audience is cheering me on. 
So my ego has to win this thing. You're caught up I in have, it. I have no means to pay for it. <laughs> so um, the last bid, I think the phone bidder bid $30,000. And the next bid was 32500 I stood up on my chair and said, no, I'll pay $35,000. And the crowd loved me. And there was a pause. And then they said, the Dumbo is yours. So my then fiance, who subsequently became my ex-fiance, said, did you get the Dumbo? And I go, yes. And she goes, was it 5,000? I said, somewhere near that. (laughs) (laughs) And if you compare it to the national debt, it was somewhat near that. And my business manager, because I put it on my credit card, yeah, was like, Richard, you are a drunken sailor. You cannot buy anything for another year. <laughs> and do you know how much pleasure I got calling him, telling him I, re- I sold it at my auction for like hundreds of thousands of dollars? Wow. All the stocks and grown-up things he wanted me to invest in, Yeah, I never did that. Who wants to own stocks? That's boring. Right. But my Dumbo turned out to who was never intended to be an investment. But um, it turned out to be. Yeah, but that was a yeah. lovely yeah. twist of fate. Yeah, but I, I mean, I think I think when you're collecting stuff, you're collecting for the love of whatever it is you're collecting. And the the sort of the the silver lining, if you will, to, yeah. to that bright, you know, puffy cloud is the fact that somewhere down the line 20 30 years later all of a sudden it's got incredible value and yeah and and, and, and since for me it was always a one-way street i only bought stuff i never sold stuff right i didn't even think about the silver lining but i had a a daughter with special needs Uh and i just moved into a new house and it's like am i gonna lug all my collectibles to the new house that doesn't really have anything to do with my daughter. She likes to go on. A, it's a small world. She doesn't eat, need the dolls from it's a small world. Yeah. And so everything went to storage and sat there for about five years. And then it's like, no one is enjoying this. I just get huge bills. The bill to store the bill to store a ticket booth and a 40 foot keel boat. It's ridiculous. And no one's enjoying it. And would you even would you go to the storage facility like regularly to to okay. like walk that around and enjoy? Boat, I was, no, I was yeah. I never went on the kill boat when it was at Disneyland. I got it, put it in storage, and saw it once when I filmed myself on it. Okay, I did dance on top of it, mm-hmm. but for my documentary, I mean about myself and this collection. But what makes it weirder? I don't just collect Disneyland. You know, it's like I I uh, have Pee Wee Herman's bicycle from the movie. Oh, the the red bicycle. Yes. So my sickness branches. Off. I have over a thousand board games from the fifties and sixties, mm-hmm. and yes, I've played a number of them. Okay. Especially and- the ones that sound utterly stupid. <laughs> like there's a game called Pa. There's a goat on the roof. <laughs> who does not want to play that game I, i've never heard of it <laughs> but 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 it's the it's the joy of the hunt 
Right. Yes. I mean, when you're collecting, it's really it's fun to track things down to find those things that you want to add to your collection. And, and those things bring you joy when you look at them. Right. Yeah. And since my son growing up grew up with this collection. Yeah. Like one of the things I collect is Sokies, which are bubble bath dispensers shaped like cartoon characters. Uh-huh. And there was a lot of Disney ones. But we would go to collector shows together. And this is him as like a six or seven year old. And he knew which Sokies I was missing. And he would go up and down all the aisles on the quest. It was like a scavenger hunt. Yeah. Find Sneasley Bear and El Caban. Yeah. And and so it was a shared activity. And, and a lot of this is about the experience. Like I decided to go around the world for five summers with my son to research the world's best roller coaster. Uh-huh. It's another collection. It's a collection of the memories of going on. We ended up going on about 450 roller coasters and taking photos. And of course, an Excel spreadsheet needs to follow and organizing all the memories of all the theme parks and making the list of the rides we need to go on in the future. So there is this sort of organizational um, checklist thing that's, I, I, I hope I use it for good and not for evil. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, it is, I, I mean, the way you're describing is you're collecting things that are touchstones of memories yes. for you personally and and i i understand that as a collector as well i mean i i collect various things and and a lot of those artifacts you look at from time to time and it floods a memory back to you absolutely i actually just bought a you know those stuffed toys that you pulled the string and it would talk to you yeah there was a tv show called gentle ben Yes, about a bear with Corey yeah. Howard. Yeah, right. That was Ron Howard's brother. Yeah. Yep. And the, I, as a kid, had it. And he says a bunch of stupid stuff. But one thing he would say is, um, I'll protect you and keep you safe from harm. And growing up and growing up in a house with a sick brother and a lot of uncertainty about things, yeah. hearing this gentle Ben pull string toy tell me he was going to protect me and keep me safe from harm was really meaningful. And I hadn't thought about him in 50 plus years. And then I saw someone posted on Pinterest or something. Yeah. And it's like, must have gentle Ben. And he showed up. He is so hideous looking. I <laughs> forgotten that detail. And I had to keep pulling the string saying like, I'm climbing up a tree. Whoops. That kind of stupid stuff. Yeah. And then it's like, did I imagine he gave words of comfort? And you can't, it keeps repeating and repeating. I keep pulling that ring. And he finally said it. So so it cycles through a bunch of things, but sometimes it it'll, it'll say it five times and then move on to the yeah. next one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I've only gotten them to say, I'll protect you and keep you safe from harm twice. Wow. So, uh, and he's really hideous, so we're trying to figure out what to do with him. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you need a uh, a pedestal and a vitrine. Uh, yes, and, on yes. display. <laughs> and the way my brain works, 
oh, why don't I start collecting these? Because there's a Dr. Doolittle one. There's one of the monkeys where each, it was a, each fit on your hand and each finger was a different monkey from the show. From, from the TV, the, the, rock, yes. the, the rock group with Davy yes. Jones and Mickey Dolenz. Yeah. Yes, uh-huh. exactly. Yeah. And there's a Herman Munster one. Oh my gosh. Who does? So now it's like, do I, and there's a finite number. They only made so many of these pull string toys. Yeah. And the old addict in me would have started collecting them. <laughs> but I'm, I've learned I'm just going to enjoy my gentle band <laughs> and not buy. eBay changed so much. There used to be a challenge to collecting. Yeah. My son would have to go up and down every aisle looking for uh-huh. Breezley Bear. Yeah. Now you type Breezley Bear. He's going to, you know. Yeah, you just type into the search engine on eBay yeah. and you can find whatever you're looking for if you can find it. You know, sometimes, if you can find it. Yeah. Look, if I could find those French postcards from yeah. Disneyland by simply typing it in, yeah. instead I get so many postcards from Euro Disneyland, uh-huh. which I still call it. Yeah. Um, and then, so what I've observed about collectors they tend to be male. Mm-hmm. They tend to be people with a slightly painful childhood hmm. laced <laughs> with joy. So it's not like I was always miserable. Right. But people who have some pain from the past, mm-hmm. who these objects represent great moments in their childhood. Mm-hmm. And it's also um there's an ego trip to it there's the i'm the guy who has the mickey mantle card right here is a baseball player on a card i'm so glad i have the mint condition one and there's only three of those known yes and then there's the entire sub thing of i collect a comic book and how it's graded has so much so i have the first edition of almost every comic, comic book, something that was designed to be funny. Yeah. So Archie and L- Little Dot and Richie Rich, mm-hmm. those, I got zero Spider-Man, but right. I've got more Little Lottas. <laughs> and I like the, the, the Harvey tunes. I love those. Yeah. Absolutely love them. And having the first edition, there was a period where that, because I used to go to Comic-Con every year. Yeah. And it's like, I don't want any of these comic books. And then I go, but I used to like Richie Rich a lot. Yeah. Why don't I start collecting that? And I'll limit it. I knew my limitations. I'll only get the first edition. And you stuck to that. Yes. Absolutely stuck to it. Yeah. And then, again, because there's a checklist of the pri- Overstreet Price Guide, I started my Excel spreadsheet to make sure and then there's things i just don't want but do i buy it it's like it's it's a no-brainer that i want betty and veronica first edition yeah but some pathetic looking dog and his canine buddy who had three issues of a lousy comic yeah but it is a comic do i need to get it (laughs) (laughs) and and I've yet to answer this question. I I don't own it, but will I wake up one day going, my life's so messed up that I don't have Augie Doggie (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, I, I, I do have to say, though, I, I think there is like a, a, like a hint of obsessive compulsiveness to comply, uh, uh, but it's in degrees with, depending on the person. Like, yes. like you're on a spectrum of uh, 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 of this obsessive compulsiveness and you can have a mild form of it or you can have like an insane Absolutely. form of it. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. And for people who don't share in it, it makes no sense. Right. It is like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. But like, I'm not obsessive compulsive of, my peas can't touch my mashed potatoes. Yeah. But can, like, I'm worrying right now about my postcard collection. Yeah. Postcards generally come in two sides that fit in postcard boxes. Yeah. But they're oversized cards, but I want all my cards in numerical order. Right. But the oversized ones don't fit in the box. Yeah. So I'm torn about breaking up the chronological numerical sequence to keep these things in their boxes. I should be telling this to my therapist. No, but you know, I was going to, I'm just sitting here listening to you and I'm thinking to myself, well, you just need to have a custom uh, archival box made that will accommodate the oversized ones at certain intervals. You don't think I'm not already on it. believe me that is the solution yeah and i'm going to have it art directed and be gorgeous and make it the official that's from disneyland postcard collection in boxes made that can accommodate all the sizes so i can keep everything numerical that's the way to do it and this is like it's like talking to a fellow sick human about separating the peas from the mashed potatoes but it makes so much sense to those who experience it well i i mean like i said i was just thinking like well this is what i would do i mean you know it's like (laughs) i totally relate to it you know now somebody out in our listening audience may be rolling their eyes going these guys are nuts oh (laughs) i think the majority of the people and they're 100 percent correct (laughs) oh this this is like talking about i Jerry Goldsmith, the composer I used to represent, yeah, referred to people who were collecting his soundtrack albums as people who collect bottle caps. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, should I start collecting bottle caps? <laughs> <laughs> Which childhood memory. Coke had a bottle cup, bottle cap contest. Yeah. That the plastic liner under the cap had a picture of an attraction at Disneyland and you really? get a map of Disneyland with a spot for each of the attraction plastic liners. Wow. And if you completed the map, you got free ticket book to Disneyland. Did you complete so, it? No. And I went to every uh, restaurant that had Coke in bottles that there was a big bin of them opening yeah. them and they give them to me. But there was a really, it may have been Lincoln or something Mm -hmm. that they must have made very few of. So nobody could ever complete their set. Yeah. And so Lincoln or something like that was the French postcard of the bottle caps. And so I did not have these. My collection from my childhood disappeared when I was about seven. Uh I saw it on eBay and got it. And it's next to my gentle bed. You got them all. A complete set. 
a complete set. So, so they did so make I, I they did make a couple of the uh, of the harder ones to find. Yeah. So they 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 had a predetermined number of tickets yes. they were going to give away and said just make twelve Lincolns or whatever it is. <laughs> yes. Right? And I'm tempted to go to Disneyland and go. So where's my free ticket book? <laughs> <laughs> I bet you if you look all over that uh, promotion, there's probably no expiration date. No, because back then they didn't think that way. Right. Exactly. You no, know, now, they, they, now nowadays there there's like a 14 pages of disclaimers. You, you know? know, it's the legalese, as you know, from doing your books. Yeah. Is and when I did my that's I had the audacity to do an exhibit called that's from Disneyland and had no rights to the name of it and we had giant banners on the side of the building saying it yeah and i kept waiting every day for a cease and desist order and none came. And then i get a phone call bob Iger wants to see it and i gave him a private tour of the collection i guess and it was like okay either he's doing research to sue or he just <laughs> wanted to see the collection no you know something bob is a fan that yes. that's what I really liked about him uh, was that he was a fan of the uh, of Disney, you know. Yes, he, and he I grew, totally he, got yeah. He grew up on the the Mickey Mouse Club, and you know, and he 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 understood the company. Yes, he certainly did. And Kevin Feige came by. Mm -hmm. Talk about a fanboy. Yeah, yeah. And one of my favorite things is my son's room growing up was done up as the Tiki Room. Yeah. And we had Jose over his bed. Mm -hmm. I had the other animatronic. And when I, Van Eaton, who did the auction, goes, do you want him to move and sing? It's like, how's he going to move and sing? It's just a thing with some tubes and stuff. He goes, I know a guy who can make him work. Wow. And so at the exhibit, Jose talked and sang. Yeah. And my son was like, what the hell? This thing was over my bed for a decade. And it didn't do anything. <laughs> and then Richard Sherman came. And sang along with Jose. Oh my God! Yeah. So, I you know I have to say because you asked me to come one night and I I did a thing with the uh, the tunes behind the tunes yes. documentary and we had a little panel discussion and everything. I mean, I just thought that I, I and, and before I even get to what I'm going to say, I want to just just touch on the fact like at what point did you decide? Wow, I. I, I, I'm going to sell this. I'm going to just sell oh, it this was, collection. It was, it was, I went to a Van Eaton auction and knew the guy whose stuff was being auctioned off. Yeah. And it was like, wait a second. Would I actually do that? And then when it was just going to be an auction, I wouldn't do it. Cause, right. But when it was an exhibit, a free exhibit. Yeah. And we had 50,000 people come to look at the exhibit. Yeah. It's like, this is the best going away party that's ever going to happen for this. Sure. And pieces that I had neglected to take good care of, like the sea serpent from the submarine ride. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had him restored. Like, I felt like I, he was never mine. He belonged to Disneyland. Yeah. I was the custodian of him. And how dare me get rid of him while he looked so bad yeah so yeah. i spruced up the things that didn't look good i had the global van lines truck that was parked over by the lockers right right and had that completely restored and put a running uh 
engine and yeah. chassis on it. And Bob Gurr came by and talked about it. And it was like, I am so blessed yeah. that there are still people who were, the things I collect still have people associated with them. I mean, since I collect ride vehicles, Bob Gurr did almost everything. Sure. And he, ha he has a Mr. Toad in his home. Yes. Uh, and, yeah. And, and because I'm such a competitive jerk, <laughs> I know other people have Mr. Toad cars, but there's say Weasel or some s s other characters that nobody knows. Yeah. I had one that said Toad. Toad. So it. Yeah. In this battle of egos, you take <laughs> your victories where you can. That, that's something true. else. People, the number one thing people got emotional about the people mover. Yeah, I had kids with their parents going, Dad, this is the thing you told me about. I'm finally get to see one. Yeah. People love the people mover. Yeah, yeah. And I had a rocket rod, and nobody loves a rocket rod. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. But so, like, when you're doing a collection and you decide, I, I, I mean, I've always viewed myself in my collecting, uh, uh, you know, uh, what I do as a hobby and what I collect as you use the word and I think it's appropriate custodian you're yes. a custodian of these items for a set period of time and at some point you're going to move that you're going to sell them you're going to give them away you're going to do whatever you're going to do with them to the next person who will be the custodian of them yes for you want to give them a good home yeah and so when you decided to sell did you think about like, where am I going to sell this? Or, you know, uh, did you talk to no, other it, people? Vanny was the, it was very easy. Vanny is a, has a form of genius to him. Uh -huh. He's the one who thought of let's take over a 40,000 square foot sports chalet deserted building. Yeah. And he saw the flow. He decided where all the items were going to go. Yeah. And then we brought in my son. And he became in charge of how to make the exhibit Instagrammable. Yeah, because, yeah. Which was a huge factor. Yeah, yeah. In, social media. Yeah. And I wouldn't know that. Yeah. And then if there was an ultimate Van Eaton's a genius moment, I had the parking lot signs from the old parking lot. Yeah. You know, you would park in the poo section. Yeah. And that's how you remembered where you parked. Yeah. And they're three-sided metal signs. And it was like, how do we display these? And I go back a week later and he has mounted them on the building support beams. And if you look up, there it is. And his way of thinking how something could come, look, loading the stuff. The stuff was much larger than the doors to get in. Yeah. He figured out how to get stuff in. Yeah. And one of my favorite parts of it was my son and I made videos that were interspersed throughout the collection talking about our memories of each thing. And, and then Van Eaton said, would you do a thing? You've told me the story of what your, what this meant about your brother. Can we start the exhibit with a thing about your brother? Hmm. And so he, even though he's a guy with an auction who makes money doing this, he's a showman too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when, when the collection was sold, 
you were at the auction. Did you did you have any urge of bidding on anything? Yes, one <laughs> item. The one item. There is a store display of Snow White, a mm -hmm. figure that is not special on any real level, except for she went into storage where her face melted and got warped. And it was like, we can't even auction this thing off. It's so messed up. And then it was like, you know what? It's unique. The universe made her look this way. Yeah. And it's a one of a kind. And she became the mascot of the exhibit. We ended up making t-shirts of her that said the fairest one of all. <laughs> and it was, she was truly special. And it's the flaws that you make things unique and special. That's right. And I loved her. And then I thought, should I pull it from the auction or should I just outbid anybody? And then it's like, no, I'm crossing into a zone that doesn't feel right. So I hope would that be the would that be the insanity zone? <laughs> yes. So I hope whoever got melty face Snow White yeah. is loving her. And but everything every, everything sold, right? Everything sold. Yeah. And I also did not allow myself to think about the prices. Yeah. So I went to the auction. It was the first time I thought about the auction. When we had the exhibit, I never thought about the auction. Sure. And then when we had the auction. I just use it as an excuse to dance. And I remember when I got my Peter Pan ship from some Disneyland auction from the, the ride vehicle from yeah, Peter Pan. Yeah. The auctioneer, the way he auctions is, he's one of those auctioneers. Yeah, yeah. And so when I got my pirate ship, I went up on stage and started dancing like a spasmodic person in <laughs> rhythm to his calls yeah and i had decided that whenever anything was going for way too much money i'm just gonna start dancing because mm. it, it's it's so insane people are buying this stuff at these prices yeah and i didn't want this to become just it's money it's money it's money right i want it to be this is fun this is fun yeah. now and i was able to use the money to help my son put the down payment on his house. Mm -hmm. And I was able to donate to a, a charity that my special needs daughter is part of in her school. Yeah. And I was able to, I'm trying to think, did I buy myself a thing from the proceeds? And I guess it's the stupid Disneyland postcards and that gentle band. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, that's fair enough, but, but I mean, I, I, I don't think when, when you have a collection like that, I don't think it, it is about the money. I, I, I think it's about the joy of it. And did you have second thoughts when they had set up all of these artifacts in that abandoned sports chalet facility at 40,000 square foot and you're walking around when the display is all set up and you're like, my God, this is so much fun. I love this. I don't ever want to sell it. No, it was different. I felt like I was the mayor of the exhibit. And so I would just every hour or so come out and give tours of the thing. Yeah. And so I love being the guy saying goodbye to the stuff. And then I jokingly said to one of the groups, I asked the people what they were up to and they said they were going to be getting married. 
I go, why don't you get married here? And they were like, uh, whatever. Then a person called me, pulled me aside and said, we were supposed to have a wedding, but my husband got sick and we can't afford the wedding. Yeah. Does your offer work for us? I go, oh my, you are so getting a wedding here. Yeah. And I had a costume made of me as the guy on top of the dynamite in the stretch room painting the guy in his underwear in the red and white striped shorts yeah right yes so i got that costume made and i officiated a wedding as that guy standing on a podium of dynamite oh my gosh that's fantastic yeah and and that's the joy of it isn't it i mean that's the joy of it i uh had the giant d from the Disneyland Hotel. Yes, I took a picture of that just because, you know, my name is Dave, you know. Yes, and uh, David <laughs> bought it. It was David Copperfield. Really? He did? Yes, and then he reached out to me and said, would you like to see it? And I, my son and I went to Vegas, and in his private airplane hangar yeah. is a giant neon D. And it's and lit it, up, right? It, it, it works. It's totally lit up. Yeah. And John Stamos has a giant D over by his house. Uh-huh. But his does not light up, so mine's better. Ah. This is the competitive part uh, I, of me. I, I, I was going to say, you know, yes. and John Stamos, if he's listening, is going to be going, God, it's- oh, <laughs> I, I'm so tormented. I, I, I said, yours may be a grower, but mine's a glower. And, <laughs> and, and then, thank God, David Copperfield's mother named him David. He wouldn't have yeah. bought it if it was a different letter. That, that's right. That's if his right. name was Murray, I was out of luck. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, what, what were you surprised at, at anything at the auction? Like, you were you surprised that something went for way more than you thought it would? Okay. Or, you know. My wife was going on eBay. Yeah. During the auction, looking how much you could buy the exact same item, yeah, on eBay for, yeah, but it tapped into something different. It was collecting the experience of being at the auction. Well, it's it the was, provenance, the provenance, yeah, right? Yes, you know, the person that could is, say, "I got this from the Richard Kraft Land Collection." You know, yes, and not everyone's going to go on eBay looking how much a Tom Sawyer map is, right? And it's. And I've been caught up in auction fever myself. I'm the yeah. guy who bought the Dumbo with money I didn't have. Right, right. There's just a thing about the excitement of an auction. And so, and I I never even calculated how much I thought the stuff would go for. Yeah. It somehow was so, disc- the auction in my mind was so unrelated to the exhibit. Yeah. Um, and then, the last the auction was over most did of they, the stuff did, was gone. did they do the auction at the sports chalet or at yes, the gallery they did. They, they did they did it upstairs where you did your thing yeah yeah and we got the same auctioneer who does the bit bit about by the baba <laughs> and the um and most of the pieces were taken away and they hadn't taken dumbo away yet and so i got a photographer to take pictures family portraits of my family with Dumbo. Oh, nice. And that I love those photos in a way more than I love the Dumbo that I had. Yeah. Yeah. The, was there, was there any one piece that was just a real hard, like, I, 
you know, you, you were kind of clinging to it as they were no. pulling it away from you. Okay. Keep in mind how obsessive I am. Yeah. That's so why I'm I didn't asking the question. Like, I did not want to become Steve Martin in the jerk. I don't need anything except for this chair and this paddle and this lamp. So once I opened the door to, I still want something, I would have had nothing auctioned off. Right. Right. So yeah, right. I needed to completely divorce myself from wanting any of the stuff in the collection. But, but I can imagine over the time period of doing the exhibit and leading up to the auction that you had to have danced up to the edge a few times. I, honestly, no? no. You didn't. No, okay. it, it, look, I, it, it, it's weird the stuff I really care about. Yeah. Is I have a parking lot tram operator shirt from the 70s. Uh-huh. And I wear it every time I go to Disneyland. That I wouldn't part with. Okay. And then I was able to find on eBay, there was a female version and I got it for my wife and it was a perfect size. We have matching parking lot tram operator shirts from the does 70s. She, does, she wear, does she wear it out in public? Yes. And boy, did I find the perfect wife. Okay. And the last time I went to Disneyland, they didn't let me enter the park with it. Why? It was an older security guy who recognized it as a 1970s parking lot tram. And he goes, you're going to confuse the patrons in thinking you work here. And oh. it's like, no one's going to think I work here. But he was really nice. And he said, can you go home and change? And I go, I live in Los Angeles. It's going to be way too far. And he went into the world of Disney store and got me a Mickey Mouse shirt to put in its place. Really? Wow. Yes, it was really. I also went once to Disneyland on a date. And my date had never been to Disneyland. Wow. And we what were planet in, was she from? Poland. <laughs> <laughs> and she loved it. And we were in a store on Frontierland. And talking about how magical she thought it was. And then she, the woman working at the store said, oh, we just got a phone call from Mr. Mickey Mouse, and he wanted you to have this. And it was a Mickey ears with a princess thing going down the back of it. Uh-huh. And they gave it to us. Really? Since when does Disneyland give you anything? Are you kidding me? No. Wow. She was so, submer- that That employee was fired the next day. Oh, I'm sure within five minutes. <laughs> but it was like, so... I've had good Disney karma. Yeah. And, and because I wasn't a jerk when the guy said I couldn't go in with the shirt, I think the fact that I was respectful and I appreciated the guy even knew what the thing was. Yeah, yeah. And so that let I now own a very lovely Mickey Mouse t-shirt. That's that yeah, that that that's a great story. You know, there, there's a lot of those wonderful little stories that that people have uh over the years i mean i still think that there is you know as big as the company has become uh i still think when you go into places like disneyland there's still vestiges of the way uh walt was you know when when he was alive and built the place you know what i mean i you know what there are wonderful people and there are jerks everywhere yes and Disneyland has a higher ratio of wonderful people. Yeah. The kind of person who wants to be a cast member yeah. is a different breed of person. Yes. I represent three Disney legends. 
Richard Sherman, Alan Menken, and Danny Elfman. Right. And there isn't a day I don't count my blessings that yeah. the people who make the very stuff I love and collect are part of my life. And, and, and you know something, all three of them, I, I've had the pleasure of meeting multiple times and chatting with and Alan, I interviewed for my documentary, The Tunes Behind the Tunes and Danny, I interviewed for the Nightmare Before Christmas book, which hopefully will come out someday. Uh, uh, you know? live long enough, everything comes out. I know it does. I know it does. Well, uh, I, I, I I, just to wrap up on this, um, final thoughts on uh, collecting, because you still collect. Uh, and it, it, You know, if it's fun and doesn't do anyone any harm, yeah, it's lovely. Um, and if it, everything has a, every coin has two sides. I do like the fun side of all of it. And I've met so many wonderful fellow collectors. Yeah and cheer them on about their collections. Like the guy who's the world's leading Alice in Wonderland collector. Mm -hmm. It's like whenever he posts, he got some rare Halloween mask. There's a camaraderie of sure. kindred spirits. Yeah. And they're cheering and, each other on. Yes. And yes, it's very materialistic and silly and stupid. Yeah. I get that. But in the world of materialistic, stupid things, it's kind of fun. It is fun. Well, do you think there? Do you think you said it's a two-sided coin? Do you think there's a, a a dark side to it? Yes, the angry collector. <laughs> the angry. Are there a lot of angry collectors? I don't think I've ever met an angry collector. Well, the new variation of angry collectors are people who go to the park wanting to get the limited number of a Minnie Mouse ears and they're mad at the people who bought them before them oh. or someone bought five of them to resell them. Yeah. And how dare they? And because it, they were going to do that. <laughs> yes. Yes. And there's the beanie baby kind of mindset of people spending money. They don't have under the belief this thing is going to be rare and they don't really enjoy the object. And they probably miscalculated what's actually going to be valuable. Yes. Like one of the things my dad taught me, it's like at the time a Superman comic first edition was selling for like, let's say a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. He said, do you know how much money you would have if you had 10,000 of them? And I calculated it. He goes, no, they'd be worthless because there's 10,000 of them. <laughs> That's true. That's yep. very true. And so there is the kind of collector who's not even really enjoying their collection. Yeah. It's just, um, and it's ridiculous because we're all judging other people. And I feel, I just, I've encountered the collector who doesn't even seem to like their collection. Yeah. That's kind of sad, I guess. You know? Yeah. But that's what floats their boat. And yeah. And, and, and never, and you never really know what somebody's full story is. So maybe the person who was upset about not getting the mini ears had a reason it meant something special to her and a frustration that someone bought five of them ahead of her and they yeah. sold out. That's that person's reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is uh, is sad. But on a, uh, a happy note to end Yeah, this, please. 
That was such a downer. I know it was, but you know something, uh, what, what was such a positive and upbeat, uh, 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 you know, experience here for me was just absolutely being able to have you for two weeks in a row on the skull rock podcast. And, And I can't thank you enough, Richard, because I just always enjoy talking with you because you're always an effusive, positive individual that always has just a bright outlook on life. And I love that. Thank you, including how much I love that the name is Skull Rock. That was one of my favorite things at Disneyland. It didn't do anything. No. It was just decorative. Yeah. And boy, Skull Rock at night lit up. There's with, nothing like it. With the water coming out of it. And, and you know something, Al John and I, we, we kind of think of ourselves as sitting in the cranium looking out the eyes of Skull Rock. That's yeah. great. And... <laughs> There's a Disneyland postcard of Skull Rock in my collection. And, and by the way, there's some good pictures of uh, of the Skull Rock in 3D in my 3D Disneyland book. Well, the book that is on my coffee table, then everyone who comes over and make wear the glasses yes. and look at it, that well, book. Uh, well, then I might send you extra glasses. Uh, oh, so we don't spread disease? So, so that everybody could wear the glasses and you just pass the book around. Ooh, a collective viewing of 3D Skull Rock. There you go. All right, Richard. Thank you so much for being on the Skull Rock podcast. And we look forward to having you back again at some point in the future to talk about anything. I mean, you know what? This next project. This is the motivation to get into. I'll be talking to you about my orchid collection next time. (laughs) We're going to do it. We're going to do it. All right. Thank you, Richard. Later. Bye. Skull Rock Podcast. To infinity and beyond. Exploring the outer reaches of the Disney galaxy. Whoa! Oh, wow, you flew magnificently. What an amazing collection. I mean, it was really unbelievable because I have to tell you, Nancy and I, uh, when you know, when they put that whole collection into that old sports chalet, that two-story, forty thousand square foot retail space with escalators and everything, they put his entire collection in there. It, it was absolutely unbelievable to wander around and look at the stuff that he had collected over years. I mean, really just phenomenal. And, and you know, again, I can't say it enough. Richard Kraft is an incredibly nice guy. I mean, just a <laughs> yeah. wonderful individual. And, and I love talking with him, be, you know, because as I said at the beginning, he's so effusive, you know, he's got such a bubbly, fun personality. And I just love that. Yeah. I think uh, anywhere he he's, he's at, he definitely makes people smile. I know that he's done uh, many different, uh, different events over the years where people can say hello, especially at D23 expos and things where people can run into him. So I'm looking forward to meeting him face-to-face at an upcoming D23 event. Excellent. Um, absolutely. Well, Dave, I tell you, we've had another wonderful week moving into the holidays, and I hope our listeners are gathering all their strength and energy for that uh, turkey carving coming up this week. I hope absolutely. you are too. hope you've got your turkey, because yeah. I hear there's some oh, supply yeah. chain <laughs> shortages going on. So you might no, want to no, get your we're, turkey we're early. All, we're all set to go. Okay. You know? And, and we're, we're having a small group this year. It's, it's just really going to be three of us. Okay. Uh, so it, it's kind of a small celebration, but uh, we're looking forward to it. Well, yeah. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome, Dave. Well, once again, thank you all so much for tuning into the show. 
please subscribe to the show on every one of your favorite podcast platforms. Yeah, you might have, you know, uh, you might have the Facebook, uh, uh, you know, app now that does the podcast. It's cool, right? It's totally cool. Uh, you can also check us out on every social media platform there is. Twitter, Instagram, all the ones that count anyway. Uh, Facebook. <laughs> and you can also check out our site, SkullRockPodcast.com. Send us those emails. Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com or Aljon at SkullRockPodcast.com. And I will also request that you please send us those emails and leave us those reviews wherever you get your podcast. Every single bit helps the algorithm, if you will. Dave, you've got the last word. Well, Al John, peace and love to everybody as always. But also, I want to wish everybody a very happy Thanksgiving. Gobble, gobble. I hope you all are uh, safe, travel, travel safely, be safe, be well, and enjoy the uh, holiday get-together wherever you are and with whoever you get together with. And we will see you again next week right here on the Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast is made possible by listeners like you. We'd love to thank Charles, Lindsay, Spencer, and Joshua. To support this podcast to sustain future episodes, visit anchor.fm forward slash Skull Rock Podcast. I'm Al John Go, co-host of the Disney List Podcast as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock Podcast, here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel vacations for people all the time give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves well i can do all of the legwork for them i have expertise i've been to the disney parks well over a hundred times so they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next disney cruise Disney Park Trip, Adventures by Disney. They can contact me at theme parks and cruises at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs>